Okay, the parish is Vayera. The question that I'm interested in, the question that I'm interested in is, the way we understand Avraham Avinu, the way Chazal let us in on it, was to say that Avraham Avinu had great powers of reasoning. He was a... Um, he was a thoughtful person. He was a philosoph- had philosophical uh, uh, bent. He had a philosophical bent. And so uh, when he thought about it, when he thought about it, the idols in his father's store didn't make sense to him. It didn't make sense that you could have more than one God or that God was not the, uh, that, that one God was not the creator of the world. Now, I don't want to get into this discussion because I have nothing to contribute to it, but that's the way Avram Avinu is presented uh, uh, to us, that, that he thought about it. The Rambam says, the Rambam says that, uh, uh, that idolatry, idolatry in the world, uh, the way he understands it is that idolatry started at the time of Enosh, which we should, you remember that name, Shait, the third son of Adam Harishon, right after the story with Cain and Hevel and past of generations, Adam and Adam and Chava had another child whose name was Shait. And Shait, right, Shait had a son whose name was Enosh. And Chazal say that in the time of Enosh, idolatry was born. Idolatry was born. And, and, and so the, the question was, well, what exactly was born? And Enosh lived, was alive, I'm sorry, Adam Arishon was alive when Enosh discovered idolatry. I mean, can you imagine that? Adam Arishon, and we try to imagine it as a, like a, a scene in a play. Here's Adam Arishon. He talks to God freely. I mean, he knew about God, and his grandson invented idolatry. So, how did that happen? How did that happen? It's not like a, your grandson, you know, suddenly becoming addicted to drugs or something. This is a, a logical impossibility. So the Rambam says, Rambam says, no, idolatry was a reasonable result of the thought process. Because if you look at the world, if you look at the created world, I mean, you see that in the created world there seem to be powers. There's a distribution of powers. For example, the sun, the heat of the sun keeps us alive. The moon provides uh, the tides in the ocean, right? There's a certain, so you feel that there are powers that are distinct from God. So if God made the world so that we have the impression that, not the impression, I mean it's scientifically correct, that there are different powers that influence our um, stay in this world, our good health in this world, so then it makes sense to say, it makes sense to say, I'm, I'm, I'm emphasizing the sense here, the reasonableness of it, that God wants us to acknowledge these powers. Because if not for that fact, God would have 
put all the powers into God. Like when we look around, we say, oh God did this, oh God did that. Those people are want to do today in a less thoughtful manner. But in those days, the Rabbah says, people looked around, they said, oh look at the sun. The sun, you know, brings us life and warmth. Without the sun, we couldn't live. And therefore, therefore, those same people will say, maybe we should acknowledge that. Maybe we should acknowledge the sun. Because God wants us to acknowledge the sun. It was not a, that they went to war against God. Quite the contrary, the Rambam says. Right, the Rambam, the beginning of Bilchot Avodazur. The Rambam says that people looked at the world that they lived in, the world that Adam Arishon lived in, and the world that Cain and Hebel lived in, and they said, well, obviously, God wants me. They all believed in God. And God wants me to, to have like a little separate day in honor of the sun, or a little day in honor of the moon and the stars, because all of those, those things are, are important to us, and they're powerful. So that's the way the Rambam understands it, that, that uh, uh, idolatry is based on a ta'ut gedola. That's what the words that he used, a big mistake. The big mistake, you know what a ta'ut gedola, I think, what the Rambam means by a ta'ut gedola is that you cannot logically refute it. It's a mistake, but you can't prove that it's a mistake. At least you can't prove to the people who are making the mistake that it's a that it's a mistake. And so, as things evolved, as things evolved, people got more into the sun and the moon and the stars. We'll just take that as an example. And then they built up special places and then they kind of, uh, they, they were so involved in the sun and the moon and the stars, they kind of forgot about God after a while. But the beginning, the Rambam, tackles this question straight on. How could it be that people who knew about God could ever create idolatry? He, he does that. And it took generations until Avram Avinu came along, many generations, 10 and 10, right? You know, the Torah writes always about 10 generations. But it took a long time before somebody came along who could respond to the argument of idolatry. And that someone was Abraham Avinu. He wasn't, according to Chazal, like a mad uh, uh, kind of uh, fanatic about, but he had a logical and reasonable argument. He said that there are truly powers in the world that we live in, but there's only one God. There's only one God. And if you know the history of, let's say, uh, this idea that there are mazalot. You know what mazalot are? I, I don't know exactly, but if I said that they're like, uh, what do you call that stuff you read, uh, what month you're born? Yeah, astrology. Good, like astrology. The Jews throughout the ages, many Jews believed in astrology of some sort. But that did not mean that they didn't believe that there was one God. It's the confu- what happens over time is there's a confusion between the idea that there are powers in the world and the idea that there is only one God. And that's what Abraham Avinu came to straighten out. And he said, he said that creation could have only taken place, uh, could only take place with one God. And the one God has dominion over the creation that he wrought. Right? 
That's the position of Avram Avinu according to Chazal. Right? Avram Avinu didn't talk about how long you should say Shemona Esrei. He didn't talk about how hard you should chuckle when you say to Hillim. It is none of that. Avram Avinu is presented to us as a very reasonable person. And in the Rambam scheme of things, that makes a lot of sense. Because you needed the reason of Avram Avinu to combat the reason of Enosh, the reason that led to idolatry. So that's when we think about Avram Avinu, and it's, I think it's interesting. Think about what I think about Avram Avinu. I think of a very reasonable person. That's someone who figured it out, so to speak. But what about the other side of the religious coin, which is a relationship with God? Where is the Avram Avinu, the side of Avram Avinu that represents his relationship with God? Right? Something, not about his, his understanding of God, or is a standing of the fact that God created the world and therefore has dominion over the world? As Rashi says, like the first Rashi, the first Rashi in the Chumash, he says, when those seven nations will come and say, Listimatem, you're a bunch of robbers, because you're stealing heritage. I'm telling you, Rashi, not a political position. Rashi said that the nations of the world are going to come and say, You stole Eretz Israel. Now, Rashi means that they will be right. They're right in saying that. Because what is their actual argument? The actual argument is that God put us here. Like, how did the seven nations of Canaan get to Canaan? I mean, where did they get their tickets from? So they come and they say, well, we got our tickets from God. And we're here. And you're saying that God changed God's mind. Which seems unreasonable. Why would God change God's mind? about who should be in Eretz Yisrael. So, Rabbi Yitzchak, from the Tanchuma, in the Rashi, says that what the story of Breshit teaches us is that God's world is not fixed. But that God can, when necessary, change the world that he created. So that it is true that the seven nations of Canaan were there because God put them there. But it's also true that if God wills it, they can be taken away from that world. And that's what the parasha, according to Rashi, according to Rabbi Yitzchak, according to the that's what the parasha of Breshit teaches us. That the world in some way is... Um, an unfinished one. There's something unfinished about the world. And on the one hand, man slash woman and their actions can affect the way the world will kind of continue to develop. And on the other hand, HaKadosh Baruch Hu sees the world as something which is not fixed and set, but can always change if there is sufficient, sufficient reason. And then you come, that's the Mabu. That's the Mabul. The Mabul is a reverting back to before the creation. Right? So God created the world, but then he erased the world. When the flood, uh, the flood erased the world that was created. So this for Rashi 
is a theological position that is necessary to understand the parasha of Vayero, the parasha of Lechlechor, because how could God say to Avram Avinu, you're going to get it. You're going to get the land. And it's interesting that if you remember, God told Avram Avinu two things, right? God told Avram Avinu he would have, his progeny would be a tremendous, three tremendous number of them. And the second thing is that he would inherit the land. When it comes to progeny, Avram didn't say a word. He said, okay, great, you know, we'll have, I'll be a big nation. We're still waiting for that to happen. But when it came to the land, Avram Vidu said, said, Bama Eda ki irashena. How, how can you assure me, God, that I will in fact inherit the land? I mean, you know, so Rashi finds this kind of a remarkable thing and he says, you know, what, what was his doubt? What was the doubt that Avraham Avinu had that he would have God said he would the land? So why didn't, so why did Avraham Avinu, why did Avraham Avinu argue the case? So Rashi quotes a Gemara, the Gemara Tanit that said, that said that Avraham Avinu turned to God and said, but I know that if my progeny sins, the punishment will be that they'll be exiled from the land. And therefore, how do I know that I will ever, my children will inherit the land? How do I know that? How do I know that they're going to inherit the land if, if they can always be kicked out? And they will be kicked out. And then there's a discussion in the Gemara, like a sort of a, a made-up discussion between God and Avraham Avinu. But the question of the land was always a question because there were these these two things. On the one hand, Rashi said at the beginning of Breshit that the seven nations of Canaan were there already. So how do we know that they're going to be kicked out? Or why would we imagine that they're going to be kicked out? And then Avraham says, well, I know that the connection to the land of Israel is dependent on the behavior of my children. How do I know that they're going to behave properly? And what happens if they don't relate properly and we lose the land, which is exactly what what happened in Jewish history only actually three times, I would say. You know, the ten tribes were exiled. Yehuda and Binyamin and Shimon were exiled. And then the Roman exile, you know, everybody who came back. So we've so far we've been exiled from Eretz Israel only three times. And therefore it uh, it would probably be remiss if somebody thought that it could never happen again. But uh, I think it can. So all of this I tell you in order to stress the fact that the way I understand Avram Avinu is reasonable. He like was presented in these words of Chazal and these discussions with the Kaddish Baruch Hu, as a professor of philosophy, somebody who understood very well Somebody understood very well what it was that uh, that the world was about, right? He didn't understand. He may not have known other things, but he knew very well what God's relationship to the world was. And he was very thoughtful about, you know, his relationship, his relationship to God. So what about the other side? Is there another side? I mean, was Avraham Avinu kind of a litvak, a rambamist? You know, like, imagine a Litvak who's also a Rambamist. That's kind of as, about as dry as you can get. 
so what about the other side? What about the relationship side? What about Avram Avinu and HaKadosh Baruch? Was it all like at some kind of reasonable letter, level? So we are introduced to Avram Avinu in the parish of Lech Lecha. What does Avram Avinu do? He goes. He's like a very reasonable person. He's a very reasonable person. At the end, or the, the sort of the, the culmination of the personality of Avram Avinu is Akedat Yitzchak. Right? Akedat Yitzchak. Akedat Yitzchak. Akedat Yitzchak. Rashi explains, you know, at the end of Akedat Yitzchak, Akedat Yitzchak, the binding of Isaac. I, I never realized that the word Akedat meant binding, but it probably does. You know, I mean, I can't, I can't argue that. What happened at the end of that story? Avram Avinu, he, he's annoyed about something, according to Rashi. I'm sorry. He says, he says, how could it be? He couldn't understand. Avram Avinu couldn't understand that God told him to do it, and then God told him not to do it. This is too much for Avram Avinu. This is too much for Avram What was it? If God wanted him to do it, so he said, do it. And if God didn't want him to do it, he would say, don't do it. But how could it be that God first said, do it, and then God said, don't do it? Does that make any sense? Well, it didn't make any sense to Avram Avinu. And therefore, therefore, Rashi makes this rather remarkable comment at the end of the parasha of Ayera, this is our parasha, right? So I'm not straying too far afield here. At the end of this parasha, called Ayera, the angel appears, right? Here is Yitzchak, he's bound up, he's on the altar, he's going to get, he's going to, he's going to get killed. Avravino has this ma'achelet, which is a fancy word that means butcher knife, big knife, right? Ma'achelet. Not a regular knife. Not like kind of knife that you get knifed with today. But like a real Zatika knife. And he wants to sacrifice his son Yitzchak. And then an angel appears, right? An angel. <coughs> the angel appears. This one second. The angel appears. But he says, Vayomer, the angel. The angel. The angel says, Don't do it. Don't do it. It's like this picture. Avraham is ready to sacrifice the son because God told him to do it. Yitzchak is willing to allow himself to be, to be sacrificed because he understands as Avram Avinu understood that he is now living in a world where you respond to divine commands. I mean, that's the finish of Avram Avinu, right? That's the new thing. There's a mitzvah. God wants something of us. God doesn't just want us to be philosophical. God wants us, God wants us to know what God tells us to do. That's the, the chidush. Don't do a thing to him. 
Now the word in Hebrew me'uma, you may have noticed that the aleph, an aleph in, a, in the middle of a word in Hebrew doesn't get a lot of attention. Right? Like sheep in Hebrew is tzom, but it's spelled tzadi aleph nun, right? Tzadi aleph nun. Now when you say it, there's no aleph there. So Rashi says, this word me'uma, which is pronounced by most Hebrew speaking as muma, muma really is related to the word mum. A mum is a physical blemish. Right? Like, you know, a scar or a cut or even a, a cut in your eyelid is called a mum. So Avram Avinu, Avram Avinu said to me, how can I re- resolve, how do I reconcile these two demands of heaven? How could it be that God wants me to sacrifice and that God also wants me not to sacrifice? How could I possibly reconcile these two demands? So Rashi says, The angel said to Avram Avinu, the angel said to Abraham Avinu, do not make a blemish in your son with that sword. Why did Abraham Avinu want to make a blemish? Why would he want to make a blemish with the sword in his son? Because a sacrifice, a sacrificed animal with a blemish is not appropriate as a sacrifice. You can't sacrifice that animal. So Avram Avinu said to himself, eventually the powers of reasoning, if I bring my son to the altar, I'm doing what God wants. If I tie him up, I'm doing what God wants. If I'm willing to sacrifice him, I'm doing what God wants. If I discover, if I discover that he's not a worthy sacrifice, why is he not a worthy sacrifice? Because he has this blemish, this physical blemish that renders him unfit as a sacrifice. Then I've done it all. I've followed the uh, original this, uh, demand of God and I'm also able to follow the angel's position which is don't sacrifice it. The angel said, said to him, no, 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 no. You're wrong, Abraham. The first demand that God made that you sacrifice your son is null and void. What he meant was, show that you're willing to sacrifice him. Okay, that's a different story, but I mean that you see that Abraham Avinu, at the end of the passage of Vayera, according to this Rashi, is applying very strict laws of logic, of reasonableness, right? He's not crying and he's not hysterical about losing his son, and he doesn't turn to God and say, God, how could you tell me to sacrifice my son, and also tell me that he's going to be the progenitor of the great nation. He doesn't say anything like that. Because Avram Avinu, unlike Kierkegaard, knew very well that God is not limited. It was his job, Avram Avinu's job, was to do what God told him to do. That's what he wanted. And he became distraught when he thought he wouldn't be able to do both of these things that God wanted him to do, right, at the same time. But Abraham Avinu was not worried, at least not in the Chumash that I learned, not in the Rashi that I learned in the Chumash. God, Abraham Avinu was not worried that he would kill his son. 
and that there would be no future for the enterprise. Because he felt that that was the problem of heaven. That wasn't his problem. That wasn't his problem. God promised that uh, Yitzhak would have children and he would be the progenitor of a great nation and he will be. He'll be whether I do this or I don't do this, he will, he will be. That was Avram Avinu. So Avram Avinu is this reasonable, very reasonable person who is able to think things out, at least the way Rashi presents, able to think things out in a wonderful way. So I say again, is there another side to Avram Avinu? Is there another Avram Avinu, the, what we would call today the religious personality? Not just the... I mean, this is a problem we all, we all have today. In modernity, the modernity, uh, uh, orthodoxy, orthodox people, you know, have opted very much for doing things right over doing things in a significant way. Uh, we are very much tuned in to what uh, is broadly called halakha. Halakha means that you try to do it as perfectly as you possibly can imagine. Even if it causes you some distress sometimes. But we live in a wonderful world where you could, like, you know, invest a lot of energy into seemingly less important things. And that takes all, that, that takes up all our energy. And we don't have too much energy left to say, well, how come I don't feel like davening? You know, I don't know if you know what I mean, but you know if if you if you are always involved in halachic manusha, so that that's an effort. It's not so easy. It's not so easy to be learned in the finer points of halacha, and they kind of wear me down about all these things, and therefore. I don't ask those other questions like why aren't I enjoying doing the mitzvah or why aren't I, aren't I able to connect to God by doing the mitzvot I, mean, I don't even get up to that I, so where is Avram Avinu in this so look at the, the sheet is sheet the first is it, uh, the first pasuk is Perikud Bet Pasuk Zayat this is when Avram Avinu comes to Eretz Yisrael. Avram comes to Eretz Yisrael, he follows the dictate of God, and the Pasuk says, Vayira Hashem el Avram Vayomer, Lizarecha Atenet Eretz Hazot. Now this uh, promise was made by God several times, on several different occasions. This is when he came to Eretz Yisrael, he went to Shechem. Avram Avinu went to Shechem, for whatever reason, Rashi explains it, and then the Pasuk says, Now I have to remind you that Avram Avinu built Mizbechot on a variety of occasions. He never, at least in the text of the Torah, he never gave a sacrifice until Akedat Yitzchak. Avinu never gave a sacrifice. So the, you could ask the question, why did he build the Mizbeach? Right? Why did he build the Mizbeach? So the obvious possible answer, I mean, I'm not saying that I can, I know, is that he did it in order to mark the spot. Right? He wanted to mark the spot. 
when God communicated with him, this was an important thing. I mean, he was out in the middle of nowhere, and he wanted to remember where it happened. So he built a Mizbeach. He didn't build it to sacrifice, but he built it in order that the place that God communicated with him would be would be known to him. And so when he came back to that place, he would do whatever he thought you had to do. Right? We know that there's a parak in, um, in Masechet Brachot about the brachot that you have to make when you see the place that a miracle occurred. But that's a, that's a halacha in the, in the Mishnah and the Gemara. But here, so that's the word Mizbeach. So the beginning of the Pasuk says, Vayirah Hashem El Avraham. So this is a change. Right? Vayomer Elokim. El Avraham. Lech Lecha Me'atzecha Me'atzecha Be'tavicha. What is the verb? What is the verb that's used? Vayomer. God spoke to Avram Avinu. What's the verb that's used here? Vayera. What is Vayera? God appeared to to Avram Avinu. Now, I don't know if you have to make a distinction, but we could make a distinction. And we could say, and that's the argument that I want to make here tonight, that Vayomer is about a communication. God communicated in the Tanakh with all kinds of disreputable people. Abimelech in, uh, in, in Mitzrayim, the king of Egypt, Abimelech in Grar, and, and etc. I mean, go through the whole Tanakh, find plenty of communication with, with disreputable people. But the word Vayera, the first word in this Pasuk, is the indication of prophecy. Prophecy, the Rambam says, is a word that describes a person's spiritual achievement. How close do you get to God? Well, prophet is the closest one. The Rambam says that even in prophecy, there are, there are steps, there are levels. There are lower levels of prophecy and higher levels of prophecy. What's the lowest level of prophecy that we know about? The prophecy of Daniel. Remember Daniel? No? <laughs> Daniel is a book in the Tanakh. Uh, don't get nervous. Daniel is a book of the Tanakh. So what was special about Daniel besides the fact that most of it is written in Aramaic, which is a little bit annoying? But what else is special about Daniel? Daniel was a special person, and he uh, he bequeathed us the idea of davening three times a day. And uh, he was like one of uh, the king, the Babylonian king. Uh, he took these smart young men from different places who spoke different languages, and he trained them for his foreign service. And Daniel was one of them. The story of Daniel is about how he managed to eat kosher food and not to uh, participate in idolatrous worship while he was involved in this project. But the thing about Daniel that relates to prophecy is that Daniel also had visions. He had visions about the end of time, as in the Messianic era. I mean, it's not so clear. The reason it's not so clear is that Daniel himself didn't understand his own visions, which he says in the, in the book. He says, I don't know what this is. I don't know what it's supposed to mean. So Daniel is the lowest level of prophecy. The lowest level of prophecy, meaning 
he's getting a, a message, but he doesn't know what it is. Doesn't know what it means. Above Daniel, according to the Rambam, is the prophecy of Zechariah. Zechariah, remember Chagai, Zechariah, Malachi, were the three, uh, uh, the, the, late, the last three prophets of, who existed in Bayacheni. Right, Chagai and Zechariah, very close to the return to Eretz Israel, and Malachi sometime after that, like maybe a hundred years later. Chagai, Zechariah, Malachi were the last prophets that we know of, that we had. So Zechariah, Zechariah also had visions. He didn't understand them. And there was a Malach. There was an angel who came to explain to Zechariah what his prophecy meant. So that, so that he did get the meaning of the prophecy. But he didn't get it on his own. He couldn't do it by himself. So for the Rambam, Daniel is a very low level of prophecy. And uh, Zechariah is a, like a higher level, but still, you know, not very high. And the highest level of prophecy, of course, according to the Rambam, was Moshe Rabbeinu. The highest level of prophecy. Somewhat after Moshe Rabbeinu is... Uh, is Avram Avinu, who the Rambam had a very high regard for because as we've explained it, he was a very reasonable man. He, Avram Avinu, was a very reasonable man. And I think that the Rambam, that the Rambam liked reasonable people. So that Avram Avinu was a very high level prophet, not as high as Moshe Rabbeinu, but considerably higher than the ones who were lowered down on the list. So here you have in this Pasuk, According to my theory, which I will try to defend as we go along, that Vayera Hashem El Abraham, Vayera Hashem El Abraham means it's an experience. There was an experience that Abraham over, overwent, went over, participated in before God spoke to him. Unlike when God told him to go to Eretz Canaan, which is the statement, go to Eretz Canaan. There is no Vayera. There is no Vayera which implies the, the uh, uh, experiential aspect of things. So, Vayivan Shav Mizbech, Rashi says, Al Bisarat Hazera Vabasarat Eretz Yisrael. Al Bisarat. We don't know exactly what Rashi means, but as I said, that the Chumash itself does not indicate that Avram Avinu gave a sacrifice other than Akedat Yitzchak. But in order to be fair, I quote the other position, which is the position of the Ramban on this page. Right, you see, Vitan Lashem Hanira Elav. I'm sorry. Vitan Lashem Hanira Elav. Ki hoda Lashem Anichbad Vizavach Lo Zevach Toda Al Shenira Elav. Again, Vayar, that there's a special thanks that Avram Avinu gave, and according to the Raman, he actually brought a sacrifice, even though it doesn't say that in the Torah. And what was he thankful for? And that's the important part. Hebrew, meaning that God appeared to him. What do you mean God appeared to him? You mean that 
that he was elevated by the by the 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 event. If God appeared to Avram Avinu, it meant that Avram Avinu was worthy of that appearance. It wasn't just that that God appeared to somebody. God did not appear to Avimelech. God did not appear to the king of Egypt, to the Paro in Egypt. God did not appear. God spoke to them. It could even have been, you know, speech of some kind of a strange way, as the Ramam says. But the speech could be made as an invention. God could create the speech. It's not God. It's not a confrontation with God. Exactly. This problem always existed, but according to the Ramban, according to the Ramban, Avram Avinu was thanking God for the fact that he appeared to him. Nothing to do with the message. Not like Rashi. Rashi said that Avram Avinu was overwhelmed that he got such a gift by progeny and the land of Israel. But the Ramban says, you hear the Ramban? Until now, he did not make himself God, did not make himself known to Avram Avinu as a, a kind of an independent event. You know, we think about those things, right? Until now. And therefore I say that's what the word means, Vayera Elav Hashem. Vayera Elav Hashem is, is, a sep- is separate to the continuation of the Pesach, which is Vayomer. Vayera is about the re- what we would call a religious experience. Religious experience. Well, everybody knows that there could be such a thing. I mean, we don't always know what we attribute it to. But there could be such a thing. And when did it happen to Avram? So Avram Avinu is presented as this bifurcated personality, the, per, the man of great logic and philosophical acumen and understanding of the world. And, and, and then also, God is taking Avram Avinu and making him, bringing him close to God. And so there are two parts to the statement. God Vayera to Avram Avinu and God Vayomer to Avram Avinu. Two different, two different statements. Now, Perik Yudzain. Perik Yudzain is the end of Lech Lecha. The end of Lech Lecha, where Avram Avinu, last week's parasha, right? Lech Lecha, where Avram Avinu is commanded to go through this uh, circumcision, him, he himself, his whole family, etc. You get it? Again, what does it say? God appears to Avram. And then, what does it say after that? Identifying himself. But again, you have these two moments, right? The moment of Vayera, which is uh, something that didn't have to happen. God could have let Avram Vida a note. He could have put the note on the refrigerator. 
didn't have to appear. But this shows you something about who Avraham Avinu was and that God seems to have an interest in Avraham Avinu having that experience. And then the Rambam also thought that ultimately prophecy is something that God bestows upon man. It's not like you could say, I want to be a prophet. On the other hand, sometimes there are prophets who have a certain job to do. And then they disappear from history. But the Rambam in the Hilchad Yisodeh Torah, Perik Zion, is not talking about that. He's talking about the word prophecy as defining a state of being. A person. A person can be a prophet. He doesn't have to have a prophecy to be a prophet, according to the Rambam. But that prophecy, or that prophetness, has to be bestowed upon him by God. You could prepare for it, you could work at it, you could study, you could learn, you could develop very fine uh, human qualities and traits, but at the end of the day, God decides if you're going to be a prophet or not. But prophecy is a word that describes closeness to God. One of the ways the Rambam says you could measure, you measure how close you are to God is your understanding of what God tells you. The Torah had to be given to us through the medium of the greatest understander in history. Otherwise we wouldn't have gotten the Torah. We would have gotten like a kind of a, a, a piece of Torah. Not all of the Torah. We got all of the Torah because Moshe Rabbeinu understood it. And even Moshe Rabbeinu didn't understand everything. Right? You know they say, the Chachonim say there were 50 Sharei Bina. 50 gates of Bina. Bina is, a, is also a word that became a little corrupted over time. Bina is a kind of intelligence, right? Bina, 50 gates of Bina. Moshe Rabbeinu had 49. So Moshe Rabbeinu did not entirely absorb the mystery of the Torah, but he almost did. And he is the Rambam's hero, right? Moshe Rabbeinu is the Rambam's hero, and close behind for the Rambam is also also Avraham Avinu. So that's what, that's what it says. By Yom Eilav, right? Pasuk Bet, Vetna Briti Beni Venecha, Vabaut Chabe Maod Maod, Vayipol Avraham, Alpanav, Vayedaber Ito Elokim Lemo. Pasuk Gimel, Vayipol Avraham Alpanav. God, I mean, Avraham fell down on his face. Rashi. Why? Mimora Hashchina. Which means it was caused by this fear that he had confronting the Shekhinah. That you understand that confronting the Shekhinah is not the same as hearing the words of God. When you hear the words of God, there's no reason to fall down on your face. You fall down on your face when you confront something that is too difficult to absorb. Right? That's what the kings, the medieval kings would have liked that to be the case. That's why there's a lot of bowing and scraping with the, with the kings in imitation of this idea. I don't know if it worked. It probably didn't. But not as well as they would have liked it to work. But that doesn't matter. Here, Avram Avinu is not falling down because he has a message, receiving a message from God. Not at all. Mimora Hashino Rashi said, Sha'at Shalom Mal, Lohayabo Koach Lamod. The Ruach Kodesh needs Sevet Allah. 
Imagine that. He says before he was circumcised, he didn't have the strength to stand before God. He could because he was imperfect. That he fell down, but his eyes were wide open. Okay, so Rashi, Rashi is telling us, Rashi is telling us that, that it was not that Avraham fell on his face because suddenly God was there, but the fact that Avraham couldn't face it is because he did understand that it was the appearance of God and not just the message, and not just the message from God. Okay? So we come to we come to our parasha, which is called by Yera, amazingly. And now I think we will understand it a little bit better. We'll understand it a little bit better. Vayera elav Hashem beiloneim amrev uyoshei petach haolel kichom ayom. So now everybody knows. Well, look at pasuk bet. Vayisai navayar minesh losha nashim nitzavim alav. He picked up his eyes and he saw these three men coming. Shlosha Anashim. Shlosha Anashim. Now, you know that, again, uh, as a uh, semantic comment, in Hebrew, the word ish means either, it's a general word which means a person, but it also has a specific meaning, angel. And the Rambam uses the word ish, ishim to describe angels in the uh, Yad Chazaka. So there's no way to know. I mean, in some way, there's no way to know. So the Pesach says that Avravina lifted his eyes. He saw three men. They're like hovering. So if you read that second Pesach, we know what's happening. But if I go back to the first pasuk, I no longer know what it's talking about. The first pasuk says, the first pasuk says, Vayar, Vayera, I'm sorry, Vayera, I love Hashem, Beilonei Mamre, that's a place. Vuhu Yashay Petach Ha'ol, Kachom Ha'yom. Okay, so there's a whole story behind the story. Yashay Petach Ha'ol, Kachom Ha'yom, it was after the circumcision, it was very hot, he was recovering, it was three days, all of that everybody knows. But what does Vayera Elav Hashem mean? Right? What does Vayera Elav Hashem So if you look at the Ramban, which I have right here at the side, the Ramban quotes the Rambam. The Ramban quotes the Rambam, and it was just easier for me to bring it from the Ramban and not from the Rambam. And he disagrees with him. But what does he say? What does the Rambam say? The Sefer Moran Avuchim Neemar Ki Haparasha Klaluprat That there's a like this parasha, the two psukim. One is the general idea of what happened, and the other is the specific details. Amar Hakatut Chila Ki Nirei Lavashem Marotan Avua God. It was a prophecy by Hashem. It was that what we've been talking about all this time. This is what the Rambam says. The Marot means one of the words, one of the verbs that's used to describe prophecy. Whatever it is, Machaze, Laila, right? All these these words that are used 
So he says, that's what, that's what it is. And what was it that he saw specifically? You know, it was God made contact with Avram Avinu. And Avram Avinu knew that there was something behind this contact. So he looked up, and it was all part of the prophecy. And he saw Shloshah Nashim. He saw the three men. Therefore, according to the Rambam, as the Rambam points out, but we'll, I'll just try to summarize it. The Rambam, the Rambam said there wouldn't have any men, and he didn't tell Sarah to go and, and make a few steaks for them to eat, and they didn't have to report. It was all, what was all of that? It was all prophecy, according to the Rambam. Now, that itself is a very interesting fact and a very interesting discussion. We haven't got time for that. But what did the Rambam say? What did the Rambam say? That the words Vayera Elav Hashem, right? Those first three words in the Pasuk indicate, indicate that the message that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is imparting to, to Avram Avinu is through this medium of prophecy. Avram Avinu is being Vayar Right, this idea that he picked up his eyes and he saw, it doesn't mean he saw in the reality of things, but it means, it means that the prophecy, the seeing in prophecy was of that, the following. So even though, even though that's what this parish, this parish I think is saying, even though <coughs> on one level, on one level, God was bringing information to Avram Avinu, right? And that information was, uh, your wife was going to have a child, and the stone was going to be overturned, right? That's information, right? That information could come to Avram Avinu through the medium of Vayomer. Vayomer Hashem al Avram, lech lecha. But by now... The relationship between Avram Avinu and Hakadosh Baruch Hu was special. Was special. It was the level of Vayera Elav Hashem that the information was passed on to Avram Avinu within the context of prophecy, and prophecy is a, a kind of uh, expansion of the spirit. Because besides the the information that you get through prophecy, which you might might or might not get, you also get the relationship between the prophet and a Kaddish Bachel. The it, for the prophet, it's like an out of body experience. It's not something like anything else. Not like you're just standing there and God leaves you a note. That was true of the non-prophet people with whom HaKadosh Baruch Hu left messages. But it was not true for Avram Avinu. So that Avram Avinu, according to the Rambam as well, is being led through, is, it, there's a process. There's a process which includes the expansion of his rational powers, of Avram Avinu's rational powers, his ability to understand what is going on. And there's another process which enables Avram Avinu to uh, to uh, uh, adorn himself with the mantle of prophecy, 
which means that God not only communicated with him, but God was actually with him. And this is also part of, part of the uh, Moshe Rabbeinu's problem, right? After the Chaita Egel, Moshe Rabbeinu says, how can I see you? I want to know you better. I mean, I was on Har Sinai for 40 days, but if I want more, I want more. So HaKadosh Baruch says to him, there's a limit. There's a limit to you're the highest level of relationship. Not only knowledge, but the highest level of, of relationship. And that's why that's why uh, uh, it's reasonable. Even though I said uh, something, you know, like a little different before, but it's reasonable for people to yearn for and to look for a relationship with God. Not only with the uh, obvious need to accept uh, God's directives and interests, those are certainly certainly necessary, but it's also reasonable for people to look for uh, for a relationship with God. And that may be that we start every Shmon Esrei. Every time we say Shmon Esrei, we say, Elokei Abraham, Elokei Yitzchak, Elokei Yaakov. And we end that bracha with the, we end that bracha, the bracha at the end is Magen Abraham, right? God protects Abraham Avinu. Well, what did God protect Avram Avinu about? So there are different interpretations, but I'm telling you, I tell you that what God uh, interpreted Avram Avinu was when they came to Avram Avinu and they said, okay, you know, you have an argument that there's one God and that God created the world. And maybe that's true, but we, all those idolaters, we also have spiritual experience. And we all know that the idolaters used all kinds of tricks in order to convince themselves that they were spiritually active, you know, whether it was it was drugs or smells or fires or or worse or worse things than that. So we say that Avram that Avinu was protected from from this idea that the other people were spiritually more enhanced than he was. Because God was willing to lead Avram Avinu on the path to spirituality. And that path to spirituality is kind of the checkpoints or wherever it says in the Torah, Vayera Elav Hashem. Vayera Elav Hashem is the experiential, the experiential aspect of the intellectual understanding that Avram Avinu came to at first. Have a good